Hey, welcome. I'm Pastor Daniel, and I'm excited to get to share with you guys tonight. Tonight, we're going to talk about a trap, a trap that affects people young and old, male and female, every race, every, even every religion. This is a trap that affects us all and affects us all evenly. It's a trap that robs us of what we have and robs us of what we can do. This trap is a trap of comparison. And I say that, and it's really easy to go, oh, a lot of people have that issue, but that's not my problem. It's really an easy issue to see in somebody else and a bit harder of an issue to see in our own lives. So let me show it to you in somebody else's life first. Uh, I have four kids. I got a picture of my family. Um, this, is, this is my awesome family. This is us here at around Christmas time. And one of the things that I have learned with my kids is they, they experience life with full emotion and you can give them something and it can be amazing. And so I'll give one of my kids like a cookie or a brownie or a piece of cake, whatever, if we've got like a special dessert and you will see them light up. And they're like, this is amazing. Do you see my cookie? And they're all excited. They're like, guys, we have cookies. But if you want to watch everything change in a second, if the next piece that goes to one of his brothers or sister just happens to look bigger or like it has more chocolate chips or is better in any way, shape, form, or fashion, you will watch the mood instantly change as it goes from yay to it's not fair. His is bigger. He got more. His has more chocolate chips. And, and all of a sudden, the very thing that he was grateful for a few seconds ago, now he's throwing a fit over because it's not the same as somebody else's. Because rather than being grateful, rather than just looking at what it was that he was given, he started looking and going, how is what I was given how does it compare to what they were given? And as I, I look at this, it's, sometimes it's frustrating as a dad. You're like, I tried to give everybody the same. I didn't count the chocolate chips inside the cookie. I didn't like get out a measuring tape to make sure that each dough ball weighed the same, you know, and then, then cooked out to be the same with the crust. And you look and you're like, this is ridiculous. And you, we've, it can be easy to feel like this is a kid's issue where they get upset over silly things because of how they compare to others. But Jesus tells us this isn't a kid issue. In fact, Jesus tells us a parable about a couple of guys. Uh, he, he tells us this, there is this farmer, this guy who's got this, uh, this vineyards and he goes to hire some workers and he goes out, it says at the first hour. So 6 a.m., he goes out to see who needs a job today. And he goes, I need guys that can harvest goes out at 6 a.m. And you, you find this story in Matthew chapter 20. And we're at verse one, where he goes and he, he finds these guys and says, hey, will you guys come into my vineyard and work for me? And they go, sure. And verse two, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So he talks to them. He goes, this is what I will pay you if you work a full day for me. And they look and they go, that's fair. That's good pay. We want the job. So he hires them, takes them back, sends them off in the vineyard. Come 9 a.m. He's like, you know what? I need more guys. We have so much that we need to get harvested. So he goes back out to the market. He finds some more guys sitting around. He's like, hey, what are you guys doing? 
They're like, hey, we're looking for a job. He goes, I'll hire you. And they're like, sweet. And he goes, at the end of the day, I'll pay you what's right. And they're like, works for me. And so he picks them up. He takes, takes them into the vineyard and sends them off. Well, it says that he does this at noon. He does this again at, um, at three o'clock. And then in verse six, it says that he went out at the 11th hour. So this is at five o'clock and they're gonna work until six. He goes and he hires one more batch of guys who were like, oh yeah, we haven't found work yet. And he's like, well, come with me. You can work in my vineyard. I'll pay you when it's all done, whatever's fair. I'll pay you, pay you well. And he's they're like, okay. So they go, they work. Uh, six o'clock comes, it's quitting time. Everybody comes in and he goes, all right, line them up, get the guys who just showed up, get them out there. And he hands them a denarius. And it says that the guys who started first got excited. They're like, dude, he just paid him a denarius. What are we going to get paid? And they get up there and he hands them a denarius. And they're like, wait, what is this? This isn't fair. You made them just like us. In verse 11, on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. He goes on and says, hey, it's my money. If I want to bless them, I can bless them. Didn't you agree to work for this? And as I begin to, to read this story, I begin to go, you know what? These are, are grown men. And it, their complaint, honestly, wasn't that they got paid a denarius a day. Their complaint was that they were made equal with someone who didn't work as hard as them. And they go, this isn't fair. This is how we compare I don't like it. And I thought, is this, is this still happening today? Or do we, did we grow out of this as time has gone since Jesus came? But I'm, I think that all of you have heard the expression, keeping up with the Joneses. And, you know, it's, so, someone put it this way. It says, it's when people spend money they don't have to get things they don't need to impress people they don't like. And I've seen people who do this and they, they end up and they're like, well, they've got a nicer car, so we need a nicer car or a bigger house. And it's this, this game of comparison, this, this race where we're trying to be like somebody else or we're, we're happy with what we have until we see that somebody has something better, that somebody else got a better interest rate, that somebody else got more square footage in their house, somebody else got a job that pays more. And all of a sudden we, we can be robbed of the joy of the stuff that we do have because somebody else has more. And I could look and I can go through stats and tell you that simply by living in the US where most of you live, that you are far better off than most of the world. It says that almost half the world, over 3 billion people live on less than $2.50 a day with 80% of humanity which lives on less than $10 a day. And we could go through and we could compare ourselves to them, but the answer isn't in living in comparison because no matter how much you have, there's somebody who has less than you and there is somebody who has more than you. And we're not gonna find our happiness and our answer when we're comparing ourselves to other people. But as I, as I look, we can be robbed of joy when we're doing this with what our stuff, but it's not the worst of it. The worst is when we decide who we are and we decide what we can do 
based on how we compare ourselves. 2 Corinthians 10.12 says this, Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. It says that when we live in this land of comparison, where I'm going to try to find my value based on how I stack up against the people around me, he goes, this is not wise. And today we do that more than ever before. Not only do we look around at the people that are right next to us, now we have social media that allows us to look at what they got and what they did and what their, where their vacation was and how much fun that they're having. And then we have TV shows that go through and show you how big someone else's house is and how big of a deer they shot and how much th- their stuff is worth. And it can be so easy to get caught up in it. But the, the biggest problem is when we find our value in it. I've got two bolts. I did this at, for a seven at seven the other day, but I had less than seven minutes. I couldn't get very far in this. So these are two bolts. They're different. And it's very easy to look and go, which one is better? And if you were to look, if I was to ask you, and I've done this to people and I I hand them to people and they look at it and they're like, well, this one's heavier, this one's bigger, this one's stronger, this one's cost more, but does that make it better? When, and, uh, Someone, someone wise responded and they go, well, depends. What do you need it to do? What's it for? Because that's going to determine what it is that you want. See, this is a, a very odd bolt. It's a very special bolt. It has a purpose inside of my mower. Um, this one is not as special. This one costs more. But honestly, I use way more of these than I use of these but it has a different purpose. And a lot of times we sit here and go, God, I wish you'd use me if I was like that person. And it's so easy to compare and to go, well, I'm just not as good as this person, so I just can't be used. And when we we compare, we rob ourselves because what I need may not be this bolt. This bolt doesn't tighten all the way down. It may be way, way too wide for most of the applications that I quick need to bolt together. And so I may need this one. And it comes down to not which one is better, but which one is needed. And we look and it's so easy to write ourselves off. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who are like, you know what? I want God to use me. I wish I was in full-time ministry. I wish I was in this spot. I wish I had a job like yours or like that person's. Then God could use me. Then I could influence people. Then I could. And they go, I think I need to be bolt A. And God goes, I didn't make you to be bolt A. I made you to be bolt B. And I did it on purpose because I didn't need two of these. I needed one of both. I didn't make you like them because I didn't want two of them. I wanted you. I needed you because I made you on purpose and I made you with a purpose. You aren't a mistake. God has a gift and God has callings for each of us. And we have to recognize that I'm not supposed to be somebody else. 
My life does, is not measured by how I compare to them. In fact, Paul says it this way. He says that we're all members of one body. And in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand can never say to the feet, I don't need you. The body is made up of so many different parts. And when we try to do, the, the, we try to use something for the wrong part, it causes problems. Eyes are wonderful, but they make really, really bad hands. Hands are great at catching stuff. Uh, a year ago, two years ago, something like that, my wife was out doing some landscaping and pulled back some weeds and went to move something and had a weed or a branch flick back and actually hit her in the eye. And if it had hit her in the hand, it had been fine. But it hit her in the eyeball and it got a sliver. The hand's a bit tougher, probably wouldn't have got a sliver. And if it did, I could have pulled it out. But when she ended up with a sliver in her eyeball, we had to go to the optometrist and they pulled it out. And it was just this big ordeal because an eye is meant for seeing, not for grabbing, not for catching. It has a different function. And we look at our body and we go, of course, obvious. Everybody knows eyes are not meant for catching objects. They watch the object so you can catch it with your hands, but you're not supposed to catch it with your eye. When they say, keep your eye on the ball, they don't mean it literally. It is a figure of speech to watch it all the way in. And we know that, but we don't do that with our, with our life. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is, this is beautiful. I've read this, I don't know how many times. And I was reading it the other day and it, it, it jumped out at me that it didn't say that God made me and then found something to do with me. It wasn't like God dug through his tool, tool chest and was like, this bolt is really weird. Man, this guy's got all sorts of quirks. You know, he, he's got way too much energy and he has a tendency to talk fast. And what am I going to do? What purpose could I find for this guy? Hmm, you know, maybe youth ministry. Hmm, you know, maybe, maybe that could handle somebody with this kind of stuff. But that's sometimes how we feel. We feel like, well, well God's trying to find something for me. But when I read this, it said that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. He had a plan. And he goes, you know what? I need somebody who can do this. I need somebody who can reach this person. I need somebody who can shine my love and my light at this company. I need somebody who can love on this kid. I need somebody who will be able to reach into this person's life and impact them. And he goes through and he goes, well, I have a need. And if I have this need, what would be the right shape bolt for this job? He goes, I need somebody who can do this. I need somebody who can, who can be an extrovert, who can do this. Or I need somebody who's an introvert, somebody who won't be so obnoxious that it scares this person away so that they can listen to them and so that they can, can talk to them. Or I need somebody who's, who has this gift that, that seems so disconnected, but it's going to build rapport with somebody that's going to open up a door so that they can hear the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ from them. And he goes through and he says, I need somebody who has this gift. And I'm going to give him this gift, not so that he can sit here and go, 
look at me. I've got a gift. I'm the best. But so that he can share it. These gifts are for the common good. These gifts are so that we can build each other up, so that we can encourage one another, so that we can be there, so that we can be his hands and feet, so that we can be an ambassador for God, full of his light and his love and take it out into the world. See, when, when the mailman delivers something, if, if he, there's a check coming to you and he sits here and takes the check and goes, oh, I don't feel like delivering that. You'd go, what? But, but, but that's my check. You got to deliver my check. In fact, it is a federal offense if he decides to not deliver your mail. If he decides to keep it, but so often we take gifts that God gave us and we go, but I don't, I don't know if I want to deliver it. But, but I'm uncomfortable. But I don't work in full-time ministry. But how am I supposed to, to witness to people at my work? And it can be so easy to go, I'm not going to do what I can do because of who I'm not. I remember when I started in ministry, my brothers had both found places in ministry. Um, one was working in the youth and one was working in Mexico. And it's so, it was so easy to look and go, well, why would God use me? My brother's a lot like me, but two inches or four inches taller. He's six two. He, he, he's, he, it's a bigger, bigger version of me. Why not just use him? Why would God use me? My oldest brother got like, 4.0 and they didn't have to try. He was one of those people who was like, um, I accidentally got a 4.0. And you're like, yeah, that's ridiculous. I'm sure he put in some effort, but to me, it seemed ridiculous that he just, it was, he could put things together. He, he was so smart, so easy. And it became so easy to look and go, well, why would God use me if God could just use them? And it's so easy when you compare to rob yourself of what you have and to rob yourself of what you can do. And when we do, we miss out on what God wants to do in us and what God wants to do through us because God has a plan for each of us. And he doesn't want us to miss out because of who we're not, because he never made us to be them. He made us to be us so that he could use us and that he could have, get the glory and that people could be drawn towards him. You can see this the, the story of the Good Samaritan, it's a, it's a fairly often heard or referenced story about a man who, who goes on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho or Jericho to Jerusalem. He's on this road and thieves come up, they beat him up, they rob him and they leave him naked. And he is, they leave him like naked to die. He's like half dead, just kind of moaning and groaning, laying there. I don't even know if he was conscious, but Jesus says that, hey, uh, a priest comes by and the, the priest, you expect this priest to help out. And I don't know why or what the priest's excuse was. If it was like, hey, uh, he might be dead and I need to be ceremonially clean because I'm supposed to go offer this sacrifice or, or what his excuse was. But it says that he went to the other side and he went by. And then it says that, that a Levite, again, somebody who worked at the church, somebody who worked for God who worked in ministry and did different things, somebody else that you'd expect and you'd go, that's the guy, that guy's gonna help him. And he carries on. And then comes the Samaritan. Somebody who there was so much racial tension between the Jews 
and the Samaritans, that you expected there to be no help. You expected this guy maybe to walk by and go, serves your right and kick him on his way by. And this guy stops to help. And he doesn't look at him and go, you know what? You should wait till another Jew comes by. You should wait until another person like you, another person with this gift, he goes, oh, you're here. You have a need. And you, you're, you, you can't hardly walk. You've been beat senseless. I've got a donkey. And he gets off his donkey, picks him up and puts him on the donkey. And he goes and he, and he, he leads him somewhere and he takes care of him. And it was this amazing picture of not looking at what he wasn't, but looking at what he had and what he had to offer. And that's what we have to do. Stop going, God, I'm not like, but God, how can you use me? Because when we do, we're set free and God can do amazing things. If we all grab a hold of the fact that God wants to use us, it will change our world. I remember sitting down for uh, a seven at seven and I was on the computer uh, this was the, the Pray First 7 at 7 beginning of the year. And one of the IT guys was sitting next to me and he's helping make things happen. And, and I'm, I'm on the computer typing to people and, and praying and we got two platforms going. And he's like, hey, he's, he's watching. He did his part and his part was all going well. And as long as everything went well, his job had become easy for a little bit. And he's like, hey, do you need any help with anything? I said, oh, that would be great. Can you hop on right there? And somebody's asking for prayer for something. Can you pray for him? He's like, me? I'm like, well, yeah, you. He's like, but I'm, and it was very, you could see it start to come up the, but I'm not a pastor, but I'm not a this, but I am not this person. And it's so easy to compare and go, well, God can use them. God can use somebody who has this perfect story. God can use somebody who has this super broken testimony. But what about me? And I just looked and said, yeah, pray for him. Just don't lie. If you say you're praying for him, don't just say praying for you, pray for him. He's like, really? I said, yes, God listens to you too. And so he, he went at it and the next day he's like, dude, that was so cool. I'm like, yeah. And, and then throughout, he's like, this is awesome. I can pray for people. And, and it, was, it was cool, but it was just like also eye-opening for me how easy it is to go, well, God can use someone like that. God can use someone in that position and to wait and to leave things that we can do undone because we're waiting for somebody else we think is more qualified to go do the thing that God has actually called us to do. I've talked to people and they're like, I want to minister in the church. And they're like, if only this guy from my work would come to church, then he could hear the gospel. Then he could meet Jesus. Then his life could be transformed. Then his home and his marriage could, could have the love of Jesus flow through them and could be healed and mended. And I get to look and encourage them and go, it's not about if I could or if somebody else would, but God wants to use you. God positioned you in your workplace. You get to be a light. God said in Matthew 5, he called all of his disciples to be the light of the world. He said that we are to be salt and light. He goes through and in Matthew 28, he says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Therefore, go. And it was not pastors and teachers, prophets. You guys do great things. It was all of us. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 says that pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists. He lists what we would consider these staff in these big positions. He goes, your job isn't to do the ministry. 
Your job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. He goes, your job is to equip them. It's not for them to wait and go, oh, if only somebody who worked in ministry was here. If only they would sit down and talk with my pastor. If only, and he goes, hey, can God use you? Can you be the light to your neighbor? Can you be kind to that person at work that drives everybody crazy? That guy that's obnoxious? That, that gal that this, and, and you go through, he goes, will you shine God's light? Will you be kind? Will you be loving? Will you be an example to your children of what it is to be loving and forgiving? And he goes through and goes, well, well, let's not focus on what it is that you're not. Will you let God use you where you are? Will you let him use you in your workplace? Will you let him use you in your family? I have watched people change someone's life with the simplest things where they go through and they go, you know what? It was somebody who, who pulled over and changed a tire. It was somebody who said, hey, you know what? Are you okay? On the side of the road. And they're like, you know what? No, actually I need, I need to get a gallon of gas. I'm out of gas. I'm out of, uh, I'm trying to remember what the other one was that they ran out of. But it was just a simple mechanical problem. And someone said, oh, I'm not a mechanic, but I can run you to Myers. But I can help pick this up or I can let you use a phone or I can help make a phone call for you. And when they did, it opened up a window that opened up questions that brought in the light and the love of Jesus and changed the life forever. Because God wants to use us and he wants to use us right where we are. And it is so easy to go, but I am not this. And God goes, I don't need that. I need you. I made you for a job. Will you let me use you? Will you let me overflow in, through you with my presence? When God called Moses, massive man of God, Moses says this, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And Moses goes, you couldn't use me. Go find somebody who can talk better. Go find somebody who's elegant, elo eloquent. Go find somebody who has this set of gifts and skills and use them. God uses broken people. Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure and a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor and afraid. Samson was codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair and serious family issues. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was uh, eccentric to say the least. Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus was short and unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health. Timothy was timid. Yet God used all of them in great ways. God wants to use you. God's hand is on you. He has a plan for you. Don't let what you're not stop you from letting God use you with what you are. Take a minute and go, God, how can you use me? Who at my workplace, who at my school, who in my family, who in my neighborhood can I reach? What can I do to represent you? Because if I let how I compare to somebody else dictate my life, I won't be happy with what I have and I won't do what I can do. But if I look and go, God, who did you make me to be? Then I can be bold I can be confident and I can step out. I can be grateful for what I have and I can use what I have even as little as it may be to reach somebody else. 
over and over again throughout the Bible, you hear, what do you have? And they'll say, nothing. Well, a little bit. And you, you find it with Moses who had a, had a staff. You find it with a widow who had just a little bit of oil and flour. But when they gave God the little bit that they have, God did amazing things. God wants to do amazing things in your life and through your life and with your life. If we'll give it to him. If we'll say, God, here's what I am. I'm not Pastor Duane. I didn't read 150 books last year, but God, can you still use me? God, I'm not my brother. God, I'm not this person, but here's what I am. Here's who I am. Will you use me? Will you use me in my family? Will you use me to reach some youth? Will you use me to reach somebody online? God, will you use me to do what you want? Because I believe that God has a plan for you, that God has a purpose for you. And I believe that if we all step up and say, God, here am I, use me, that God will. And we'll see our world impacted by the power, the love and the grace of God. And as I, as I say that, some of you guys get excited. Some of you guys get challenged. Some of you guys, you know, you're like, I've been st standing back knowing that I need to say something to this person that I work with or my neighbor or, or this relative. I need to show God's love. I need to be the first one to apologize and not worry about not having all the right words. But some of you may look and go, you know, I don't even know God. You talk about a God that loves me, talk about a God that has a plan for me in spite of all my brokenness. Yes, he has a plan for you and he wants a relationship with you. And if you don't have a relationship with him, you can start one today. The Bible says that he stands at the door of your heart knocking. He wants a relationship. And he says that whoever calls on his name will be saved. So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna, if you'd like to make him your Lord, we're gonna call on his name and you will be saved. So go ahead, if you say, that's me. And repeat after me, say, God, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for washing my sins away, for taking my place. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I declare that you are the Lord in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.